Hi and welcome to season two of Image Talks Fertility in partnership with Waterstone Clinic. My name is Dominique McMullen and I'm Image Media's Editorial Director and I'm delighted to be back for season two. Fertility is a deeply emotional and personal topic. I'm lucky enough to have two boys, aged three and one, and it has been some journey and not always an easy one to get me here. In this series, I'm gonna be talking to men and women about their fertility journeys. We're gonna touch on the highs and the lows of their experiences and hopefully be informed and inspired by them. We'll also be hearing from Ireland's leading experts in fertility, many of whom come from Waterstone Clinic, our partners in this podcast. Waterstone Clinic is renowned for their exceptional patient care, and they're bringing the most advanced fertility services to patients across Ireland today. They've also been doing it for 20 years, so they really know what they're talking about. So, listener, get comfortable, maybe go get a notepad, and let's talk fertility. In this episode, we are talking about something that we've touched on uh, more than once over the course of our series, and that is male factor infertility. Fertility is not an easy uh, topic to talk about at the best of times, but male factor infertility seems to have its own special, difficult niche. Uh, It's probably something to do with the fact that men don't naturally feel as comfortable opening up about the topic of fertility. as well as all sorts of myths, misconceptions, tropes, and stigmas that are attached to male fertility and everything that it entails. Today, however, we are going to be broaching and busting this topic. I'll be chatting with a couple who have experienced male factor infertility and who I'm delighted to say are currently eight months pregnant. And before that, however, we are going to be speaking with Dr. Tim Deneen, who is a specialist in male fertility at Waterstone Clinic. So Tim, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. Um, I would like to dive right in, Tim. Um, Something which I wasn't really aware of, are male fertility issues as common as female fertility issues? Uh, yes, they are. And I think that's the, the first myth that just needs to be dispelled. The fact that if a heterosexual couple are struggling to conceive, then the issue must be to do with the female. That is not always the case at all. And in as many cases, the problem or underlying reason as to why they're struggling is because of the man. Um, I suppose if we look at uh, population data, on average, about 7% of the male population have a fertility agenda of some type. Mm -hmm. And if we put that in context, that's one guy out of any hurling or Gaelic football team or one guy in a rugby team that has a problem. And Mm -hmm. so if we look at any of those games, two guys on the pitch, on average, are having a problem with fertility. And uh, I suppose the most severe form of male factor infertility is what we call azoospermia, where there are no sperm in the ejaculate at all. And again, the suggestion is that in the general population, that affects about 1% of males. So it is significant. Yeah. And it's funny that people presume always that it's a female issue when there is an issue of fertility. Um, And yet, I mean, would you say that it's 50-50, whether the issue is male, female? Yes, it is. Uh, Certainly from the data from fertility clinics, typically about one third of heterosexual couples are having problems because of a female factor. Mm -hmm. About one third is because of male. And then the remainder is a mixture of male, female and what we would call idiopathic or unexplained. But I think part of the problem is that fertility treatment it has concentrated maybe on the female because not that she wants to be concentrated on, but because of the treatment, uh, she takes the medications, she has to have the uh, egg collection. And in some ways, the men are kind of in the backseat from the start. So I think that is something that has contributed to the fact that uh, fertility treatment may, may be more concentrated on the females as opposed to the men. But I think awareness is changing that and, and it's it, it's good that it's doing that. Absolutely. I, I think it's essential that podcasts like the, this exist and that it is spoken about so that people do understand the reality of it. Um, and let's talk about male factor 
infertility then, in male factor fertility generally, does male fertility go on forever? Is that another myth? Um, no, that that can be true. So um, I suppose if we look at what we do, first of all, in order to assess a man's fertility, what we do is look at, look at an ejaculate, uh, take a semen sample and mm-hmm. see what the sperm count is, what the motility is, for example. And we may need to do that a few times because those ejaculates are biological samples and they will vary from one to the other. Um, we will get samples from a guy where we would term him as being subfertile. So in some guy guys, we see there are sperm counts or motilities that are lower than what we would expect. But there's mm-hmm. still a lot of good quality, healthy sperm. And so in those cases, it's just maybe a time factor that is going to take a little longer for those couples to reach success. Okay. Whereas for other guys, they are going to be termed infertile because of very low sperm count, very poor sperm motility, or a combination of factors. And in those guys, interventions such as fertility treatment really will be needed in order for them to reach that transition of parenthood. Okay. And if if you say you had a result like subpar uh, um, sperm count, would you then... Does that change depending? I know that that, um, it could change monthly. It could change every six months. Would you be kind of, would it make sense to come back for additional tests at that point? Yeah, it it may do because uh, you are right for for the male, which is different to the female, sperm production or spermatogenesis, that that takes place every 12 weeks typically. Mm -hmm. So a sample that we might see now can be different to what we see in 12 weeks time or three months Mm -hmm. time. Um, And so diet, exercise, supplements such as selenium, zinc, vitamin E, they can all help to improve sperm parameters. The only thing though is with, with the likes of those lifestyle changes is that it's quite difficult to quantify how effective those changes are going to be mm. in a semen sample. But certainly if we see some guy is suboptimal or borderline normal, we would suggest a sample again later when he has made some changes and that may help to push him into that normal category. And that really can make a big difference, can it? Lifestyle changes. It can help, yes. Mm. But okay. again, Lifestyle changes won't help those guys, or at least they're not going to be as dramatic as we need for those guys where there's very poor sperm count, very poor motility, Mm -hmm. because that is what it's going to be for that guy, even though he may make some changes. And that's why for some of these guys, intervention is needed. And I suppose identifying the root cause of male infertility can be difficult. There are reasons for male infertility, such as hormone imbalance, genetic reasons, uh, such as cystic fibrosis or Klinefelter syndrome. Uh, There can be as well undescended testicles, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, But in a lot of cases, we're not able to identify the root cause of the male problem. Therefore, we're not able to correct the problem. Mm. But what we can very successfully do by means of treatment is overcome the problem. I I think one thing that we touched on last season, which I found really interesting, was uh, one of our guests' partners had had a small operation as a child, which had resulted in male factor infertility, um, which is, I think, something that not a lot of people are aware of can happen. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? And I'm not sure specifically what what procedure they would have had, but maybe it was to do with um undescended testicles where the testicles were actually within the abdomen yeah when he was born and and this is something that certainly can happen with males where one testicle is within the abdomen or both Mm -hmm. and they then need to have a surgical procedure to bring the testicles into the scrotum because of course what we do need to bear in mind is that the testicles are outside of the body for a reason it's to have them at a lower temperature in comparison to body temperature because that's the temperature at best for sperm production or spermatogenesis. So if the testicles are within the abdomen, they would need to be brought down and that hopefully would help in those guys actually having proper sperm production. But sometimes Mm -hmm. that procedure is done too late and then the spermatogenesis is still impaired. Okay. 
that makes that make sense. Um, and are there other things that people could be doing unknowingly that could be affecting their sperm? Yeah, well, certainly uh, we've had instances in the clinic in Waterstones where guys have come in and they're pumping weights in the gym and uh, they're taking the anabolic steroids and they're, it's a complete mm-hmm. shock that there's no sperm in the ejaculate. We know that anabolic steroids cuts the sperm produ- producing factory completely. And when they go off those steroids and come back a few months later, we can see normal sperm counts. I suppose medications and treatments also cut down sperm production. For example, we know chemotherapy is one that certainly can just stop sperm production completely. And so something we would do as well is if we're aware of a guy that's about to undergo chemotherapy, to have some ejaculates frozen before he starts that treatment helps to preserve his fertility. Yeah, we, we touched on a lot throughout the podcast on freezing sperm, freezing embryos, freezing eggs. It always seems like a very wise thing to do um, at any stage, really. So if you know you're coming in um, and you have an issue, depending on what it is, obviously we'll, we'll change what treatments you get. But can you talk to me about the range of treatments um, that are available, like ICSI, uh, surgical sperm retrieval? If you could talk to us through a different the different options that people might be looking at. Yes. Um, and so first of all, when we do a semen analysis, as I say, we're looking for sperm count. We're looking for motility. Um, and we're looking for other factors as well, but they're the two real uh, important ones. And based mm-hmm. on the analysis, we might tell a couple just to go away if if uh, all of her investigations are as they should be as well. We might tell the couple just go away, keep trying, and hopefully it happens spontaneously. Yeah. If they return and it still hasn't happened, we would then suggest a first line of treatment such as such as ovulation induction with intercourse or OII as we would call it, where the female is given some medication to, he- to help um, get follicles. She has scans to see how the ovaries are responding. Mm-hmm. And then the couple have intercourse at a specific time, which is optimizing when ovulation takes place and hopefully the sperm are there to hopefully go on and fertilize the egg. So that would be a first line of treatment. If that doesn't work, then the next line would be what we call intrauterine insemination, Mm -hmm. which is similar to OII. It's just a very low dose of medication and scanning, again, to see how the ovaries are responding. Mm -hmm. But instead of the couple actually having intercourse, we get the ejaculate from the guy. We prepare that in the lab where we purify the best of the sperm. That's then injected. Uh, into his partner and hopefully that results in success okay if that doesn't result in success then we are going for full IVF treatment Um, routine IVF treatment is where we're again working with normal sperm samples where there's good count good motility and we're able to recover a good number of moving sperm from the preparation Mm -hmm. when we collect the eggs in the lab we prepare the sperm sample We then Mm. add the sperm to the eggs in the medium, the culture medium, and we just leave it overnight. We let them get on with it themselves. And hopefully the following morning we will see fertilized eggs. We hope then to see embryo development from that. And certainly we get a lot of babies from routine IVF. Isn't it incredible? I just, it's incredible. It never fails. It never ceases to amaze me what you and other professionals like you do, you know, to, to then leave the little egg and sperm to figure it out themselves is just amazing. Yeah, and look, we we uh, try to have the right uh, music, the right lighting, the right atmosphere. <laughs> uh, we're going to try everything to get there. But sometimes if, if a guy's ejaculate, though, reveals really poor sperm, really mm. poor motility, they are the more difficult to try and, and get uh, success with. Yeah. But but by doing what we call ICSI or intracytoplasm sperm injection, where we inject the sperm directly into the egg, by doing that, we're overcoming the work that the sperm has to do by yeah. swimming to the egg and penetrating the egg. We're getting the sperm right into the egg and then hopefully the egg kickstarts fertilization. We're able to get embryos and now we see we would get as many babies with ICSI as we would with IVF. Okay, um, fascinating. Because you don't hear a lot about ICSI. I mean, IVF right. is, you know, a, a very 
commonly known um, treatment yeah. now, but it, it wouldn't be so much. So that's really interesting. And I think then with the last kind of line that you go to would be sperm donor. Um, yes. And is that is that something that, you know, you would experience a lot? Would there be a lot of people using that in your... Yeah, um, uh, yeah. There, there, there are a number of people where that would apply. Um, certainly, we would have single women come through for treatment, same-sex mm-hmm. couples come through for treatment, and also for those heterosexual couples where, if he doesn't have sperm in the ejaculate, we can do a testicular biopsy where we take some tissue from the testes, tease that apart, hopefully get viable sperm from that to inject into the egg. And again, we can get sperm. Uh, if we get sperm, we can get babies using those procedures. But of course, there will be a percentage of those testicular biopsies where we do not end up with viable sperm. And mm-hmm. in those cases, for those heterosexual couples, then donor sperm is also an option. But certainly we, we know from different publications and there hasn't been much published about men's reactions to infertility and a diagnosis of infertility that Mm. they will want to explore all options of trying to have their own genetic child before they're ready to move on to the likes of donor sperm. But donor sperm is also an important option that's available there. Yeah, and and I think, you know, I know that the Onion James who we're talking to later on in the episode use donor sperm and are delighted so it's a wonderful option um to be able to use for all of the different types of couples and 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 single people that you've referred to there um and finally tim do you have any advice for for men out there who may have just received a, a diagnosis or maybe they're worried about starting a family and what would you say to them yeah i think maybe there's two different categories i think for those guys where they've just got a result um, that may be unfavorable for them, essentially. Mm-hmm. Guys need to talk about it. They need support. Mm-hmm. They can't just try and bottle that up and try and pretend that they're going to be able to deal with it without having a proper discussion on it. So mm-hmm. that would be the first thing. But even for those guys where there's very poor sperm, or even in cases where we haven't seen sperm in the ejaculate, there's still a chance by doing biopsy. And with those poor ejaculates, there's still a chance of success. Um, for those guys that just is putting it on the back burner, is taking a back seat, really what we would say in Waterstones is, let's forget the myth that it's female orientated and female dominated. Men need to be aware that fertility can be a, pro- a problem for them. And what they need to do is do a semen analysis as soon as possible. That Mm -hmm. will give them information that they can use and start planning for that ahead. Mm, Great advice. Really great advice. Um, And as always, um, I think the message that we like to make sure our listeners understand is to reach out, to take those first steps, to, um, to talk to professionals and friends alike. Um, so thank you so much, Tim. There's a lot to digest there, a lot of information, and we really appreciate having you on. Um, and as I always end this section, a reminder for our listeners to reach out and ask for help if you need it. Thank you, Tim. No problem. Now, I am delighted to welcome the gorgeous Onya and James. Onya, as I mentioned in my introduction, is eight months pregnant and positively glowing here in front of me. Um, congratulations to you both, and thank you so much for being here with me today. Um, obviously, your journey in many ways is only just getting started, but I'd like for you to take me back. Um, so tell me first of all about how you both met and then how did you decide to start a family? Well yeah so we both met in um, we were both living in Oxford this was 2016. Okay. Um, so we were both working at Oxford University Hospitals. Um, I was in the Estates and you were public health. Public health. Um, so it was actually I was given up smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to the, the health centre and it was, um, I met, so I was actually being dealt with by Onya's colleagues, but that's the first time I, I caught 
corneal caught my eye. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I had to wait until my, my treatment was over before I could actually ask her out for uh, any conflict of interest. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I had to wait in the 12 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. Yeah. When James gave up smoking, he got more than he bargained for. He <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gave up one one habit and picked up another one. A much yeah, better so, yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's that's lovely. And do you want to tell us about how um, I know your fertility journeys are, are super interesting and intertwined. So only you didn't think you were able to have children. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, when I was 16, um, I had some kind of medical investigations and they told me that I had polycystic ovaries. Um, so I kind of always thought, for my 16 years onwards, it would be very difficult for me to have kids. So I kind of started to process that at, at a young age. I got checked again in my 20s just, just to see um, where we're at. And again, I was told I've got polycystic ovaries. Um, then when myself and James, so obviously we met, we we're going out, I told James fairly early on in our relationship that um, me having kids, it, it might not be straightforward. We might need some, some support, but we won't mm. know to we, you know, we decided we want to go down that route. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually we got to that point of going, okay, yeah, we'd, we'd like to start a family. Um, I think it, it all kind of, we were meant to get married just before COVID, COVID hit in March. And we were actually meant to get married in that March. Yeah, oh. yeah we were three weeks away. Yeah. So we kind of made the decision mm -hmm. of, well, we're not going to wait to get married to start a family. We wanted a family. So I went and I got checked. Um, and it turned out that I actually don't have polycystic ovaries. It was just, I was, I was always very athletic, very fit. Um, and it turned out it was my fitness levels prevented me from ovulating. So you can often get this kind of female athlete um, kind of triad. Um, so because I was of a certain fitness level, it affected my hormones, which meant I wasn't ovulating. Okay. Uh, I've like, never heard that before. That's fascinating. Yeah, no, like, it turns out I just had to drop levels. Um, so did that and we had a go trying and it wasn't happening for us. So James kind of took it on himself to, to go get checked. Yeah, so I just sort of did a little search um, and Waterstone Clinic was the closest to us. They're only about five minutes around the corner. Um, so yeah, I got in contact with Martina. Wardstone Clinic here in Nice and um, yeah I think I had my first test I think it's only a few days and then we had the phone call to say that they found very little um, sperm in, in, in the test mm -hmm. um, but she said not to panic um, just, just to do another test um, just, just, just to verify so I probably gave it yeah, I had about a month yeah. two months in between yeah. and then um, so yeah the first first test hit me hard because mm. obviously I had no, well, I have no idea. See, I've never been in a position where I've been trying for children. So it's never been something that I ever think about or even dream about getting tested. You just assume everything's okay. And when the time comes, it's mm. all ready to go, you know? Mm. Um, so the second test actually came back. There was, they couldn't find any, any sperm uh, at all. Um, but by that time, we were already kind of mentally prepared for that kind of, because mm. when they found so little my first, I was, we were already kind of, thinking about what our other options were and, um, and tell me James like how, how did it feel because you know you said just then you you never had thought about that as mm -hmm. a as a potential issue and I think the difference is I feel like a lot of women would have thought about that as a potential issue for themselves right um, yeah yeah it's certainly something anecdotally that I would hear a lot of my friends say like oh god I'm just worried what if I what if there's any issues so tell me how it felt like it, it's there is such stigma attached to it it is it's mm -hmm. a, such a difficult issue um were you were you upset like did you what did you initially go and tell friends and family obviously you were upset did yeah, you yeah. know though that, that there were a lot of options that you could go to um, yeah I know initially I was upset um to the point where I couldn't actually carry on the conversation with the, with Martina I was just so shell-shocked yeah, yeah I had to leave the room um just because I just yeah I couldn't I couldn't like deal with it in my head mm -hmm. um but um yeah I think I mean I'm, I'm such a sort of laid-back go-the-flow kind of guy that mm. 
within a few minutes I was like sure well see what our options are yeah. um, but obviously at that point I didn't know what my options were um, I think the first thing that sprang in both our minds was adoption mm-hmm. um, um, it's like but, James, yeah. James is I don't know he's, he's one of these people who lives life with kind of glass half full and lives in, in the moment mm. and you know James took it on himself he was like okay look I'll go get checked before I go get checked again because he kind of said look it's, it's less invasive for me mm-hmm. um when we got the results mm-hmm. like obviously yeah it was not what we expected but it was process that emotion James yeah. James had shown me such love and compassion and empathy when I told him it might be difficult for me that like you know I wanted to show that back to him and go well look we have each other mm-hmm. um there is like you know there's been such progress progress in fertility treatment Mm. we knew it wasn't the end of the road we were we actually kind of after a while we were like oh look we're lucky we know why um so many people Mm. go through this journey and never find out the cause do they yeah 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 and in fairness we kind of we looked at it as of the two of us to have an issue (laughs) You know, it was, we could do more for James that yeah. was less invasive yeah. compared to, you know, if it was me, I would have to go through a lot more invasive testing. Yeah. So, like, like I said, look, James is, I think we both are, you know, glass half full, there's options, yeah. we have each other. And like, yeah. I think, like, we can't sing the praises of Martina in um, Warstone's clinic in Nice enough. Mm. Do you know, like, she's one of the most wonderful people we have met on our journey Mm -hmm. and you know she said she kind of started to explain to us our different options but she was never never saying right you have to make a decision it was these are your options think about it process it so we knew there was options for us I was like you know we, we were lucky we, we, you know, I, I had, uh, for the listener, I had a conversation with Onya and James um, yesterday and I was just so struck and I am again now listening to you at the companionship and the understanding and the like, you know, positivity that just radiates out of the two of you is really special. Um, and it, it's, it's just, it's, it's, I think, so important, as we were saying before, for couples who be listening and for men especially who are listening to understand that any kind of diagnosis that is you know not what they were necessarily expecting um is not the end of the road and there are so many treatments available for men um so talk to me about the next steps then you had your second test and they didn't they didn't tell me what happened from then (laughs) (laughs) um so james had a second test we kind of had expected you know there we're going to need some kind of help here Mm -hmm. um we initially thought of adoption um Mm -hmm. waterstones they kind of talked us through the options there one was um it's a type of surgery for james where they would actually try and extract sperm Mm um we were kind of it's a micro teasy. Yeah. Um, we were told the percentages were quite low. Mm-hmm. My, my age and, and the fact that they couldn't find any um, under micro under the microscope, they said it would be very very slim chance. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't really want to. We were trying to play the percentages, really, yeah. weren't we? we were, our yeah. our end goal is to have our baby. Yeah. And we we played the game of percentages we were like what gives us the best chance of giving us our family so that's where we like you know the adoption you had surgery or you had donors uh, donor mm-hmm. sperm and our decisions we, we based them on what gives us what we want which is our family and our baby and yeah. Yeah, donor came up top, didn't it? Yeah, donor came yeah. up as the, the top option. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. People talk, and I've had on the podcast before someone talk about um, fertility like betting on the horses. <laughs> yeah. You do yeah. kind of look at the different percentage chances and yeah, then you bet on your horse. And it looks like you guys bet on a pretty good horse, hey? <laughs> yeah. 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 The, yeah. The donor, 
look, and you know, I always acknowledge with this, everyone's story is unique and different. Um, we're, we're lucky with how our story has gone. Um, like the, the donor route was, it was the best option for us. Um, and once we, once we made that decision, we never looked back. Um, we very much yeah. so, we, we, we were very open with each other. We talked about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we very much so saw the donor as it's a tissue to give us what yeah. we want. Um, yeah, and I think one of the best pieces of advice we were given, um, we, we spoke to um, kind of some, some friends who had gone down the donor route, they're a same-sex couple. And one of the things that they said to us, they were like, when you pick your child up off from their bike, all you want to do is love them and hug them. You don't look at the color of their eyes, the color of their hair. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. your child and all you want to do is yeah. comfort them. Um, I think that was at the stage where we, where we were trying to choose our donor yeah. and going through all pages and pages and pages of different ones and all the information that was given. And they were just saying, just don't get bogged down by, by all that information. Mm. Just go for the basic medical matches yeah. and just go from there. Don't worry about what their favourite food is or, yeah. or what their hair colour is or what their hobbies are. Just, yeah. just stick with the basics and go with there. Yeah, like, that's good advice. Because there's I, so I can... much information, even though it's done one profile, there's yeah. pictures of information on there, which I you just imagine. don't really need to know all of that. Like, no. you know. And you can pay for different levels of information. Am I correct in thinking? Yeah. 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 So the, the way it works with them, donor. So we met one of the nurses down in Warstones. Again, absolutely fabulous. Um, they talked us through the process. So mm-hmm. basically it's, so say I'm like, I'm CMV positive. So I needed a donor who was CMV negative. So it's, it's a type of kind of, if, if I had somebody who was CMV positive, it could pass kind of like um, an illness onto our baby. Okay. Um, I'm also cystic fibrosis positive. So we needed to have somebody who was cystic fibrosis negative. Um, so it was trying to find a donor that would, you know, match up with my own profile kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were given... Um, a certain amount of kind of donor profiles mm-hmm. um, to read through and then it was up to us to make the choice and yeah. Um, yeah like James was saying you can get pages and pages upon stuff um, but in the end again we went with the percentages we were like right who's got the strongest sperm yeah. um, do you know what's probably yeah it was like what would match of your profile and then the family history the main things for us wasn't it yeah you know we weren't really we're trying to not look at the pictures and and all their hobbies and interests it's just like let's just try and just just put that aside and just stick with what's really important for us anyway yeah so, yeah. yeah we had um i suppose we've gone we kind of narrowed it down to like one or two immediately yeah. then, it? <laughs> <laughs> you know. did you agree yeah. did you agree on on, on who yeah. to pick yeah yeah yeah, yeah. We, yeah. we both picked the same one didn't we yeah, with, yeah. like with all of this and i'd love to get across to guys who might listen to this is we did everything together um every single step you know it was it was never that I went off and read the profiles by myself or James went to read them. We, mm-hmm. we did it together. Um, we actually had a good laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> You'd have a good giggle. Um, but like, as, yeah, so we chose the donor and you order a certain amount of straws. So we ordered, we wanted to order um, extra straws in case we wanted to have more than one baby so that the baby would be from the same donor. Yeah. Um, it takes a while for the straws to arrive into Ireland because you have to, um, they come from is it Denmark, Denmark. Yeah. yeah. Um, so they obviously have to be transported over. Then there has to be a certain amount of time where the labs check them. Mm. So it, there's a waiting period there. And that's, yeah. that's tough. Now, to be honest, the, the waiting. Yeah. And when you, when you realize the time frames, you know, like it, it did, I suppose I was hit more so than James. And James again was a brilliant support. We just we just went with any funk that we had. Yeah. Like yeah. you know, a lot of women, I'm sure, when they're going through fertility treatment, you become very conscious of your diet, of yeah. like your, your activity, you eat pineapples to beat the band. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, anything. But we like I suppose one of the 
one of my kind of like fondest, happiest memories is we were in a funk, but I was mainly in a funk because we knew it was going to take a while. Um, and we literally just embraced it, went and got a fish and chip and a curry, watched some really kind some of like, movie, yeah, some trashy yeah. like movie, <laughs> cuddled up and just went with it, yeah. you know, and it was, yeah. we were in it together and it's like, look, these, these massive highs on this journey, especially when you're going with, with donor, but there's lows. And it's like, just go with the lows and be together on it. Because yeah. um, what could have been a very, like, tough memory is now a fond memory for us, you know? And now, and now we always love that chipper. Yeah, Jane, I think James is delighted to get fish and chips. Is my healthy eating was there. And uh, how are you feeling now? How are you both feeling now? Yeah, excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. absolutely wasn't like. Yeah, um, no, really excited. Yeah, that's just, we're just getting through all the jobs around the house and just getting, the, yeah. doing, all the, doing all the final prep. Um, I say the nerves will kick in in a few weeks for me, but I'm still in the sort of excited prep zone. Of course, yeah. I'm still at work, so I'm still distracted. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, you got the the buggy all sorted and the you got all your bits. No, oh, oh, sorry, no, 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 that's, that's on the to do list. Oh, it's ordered. It's ordered. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah J- James, I think is a bit more organised than me. He's been doing a good bit of DIY around the house. Um, oh, yeah, no, all in now. Yeah, we're buzzing for it. Like it's, uh, I, was, one of the things we kind of do each evening. Um. You probably kill me for this now. Mm-hmm. Uh, James James reads to bump oh, yeah. um, each night. Um, oh. Yeah, be it like a little story rhyme, or it's, it's probably worth mentioning. We um, we linked in with um, an organisation. They're called the Donor Conception Network, mm. and they're fabulous. They're in England, but they have an Irish base, and they support couples who've gone yeah. through the donor journey. Be it like you go to workshops, or you can. Um, they've loads like an endless amount of resources but one of the resources they have is a baby book um, it's called Our Story oh. and it's about kind of yeah how how baby came yeah. to be and with we're going to read it to, to the baby when baby arrives and explain yeah exactly yeah. 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 James is already reading it um, well, you know, that's extra special for me because I had my own My Story book because yeah. um, I was adopted uh, and my sister had one too. She was an IVF baby and I used to proudly go into school um, and show off my book and tell yeah. everyone it was special because <laughs> I, was, I was different. Um, and actually, I, I, to, to, to be honest, when you were talking there before about how, you know, when your child reaches up to you and they've fallen off the bike, um, you don't think about, you know, biology or where they've come from. That really, really struck a chord with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you, you know, from being not biologically related to either of my parents, that um, like I, I, it was never anything. It was never an issue at all. And um, they couldn't yeah. love me more, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's so nice to to hear, I think, a couple like you who, you know, who, who have been through the ringer, but who have been able to find this amazing positivity in it and who are going to have a beautiful baby. You know, that's the, the wonderful message for people yeah. out there. Yeah. It's, um, it's yeah. fab. It's so yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like yeah, our story is we, we feel very blessed and very lucky. Um yeah. and I think you know for anyone going through the donor journey, be it a same-sex couple or a heterosexual couple, mm. like I ju- I just think James exemplifies how a partner can be so involved. Yeah. Um like you could you can explain all the stuff you did is I can see how involved you are, James. I mean, I can tell by our conversation the other day and by today. And I think it's really, really important that people understand that this stuff is not easy and you do need to be together as a couple. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I suppose I don't really feel like I've done gone the extra mile or anything. I've just any, I've, I've done what I've done because I love Onya and that's, it's our family. And so I just, I've just chipped in, I suppose, where I can, like, but yeah. uh, as far as, like, the IVF concerned, was concerned, I've always made sure I was obviously wanted to be there every appointment. Now, it was handy. They were just around the corner. 
Um, and I was working from home so I could have my bosses listening to this in the future. Sorry, but I was sneaking off, <laughs> sneaking <laughs> off during work. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and as far as like, I know like the medication is obviously a big thing. Mm. Um, sort of to organize and administer and I just wanted to take that away from one and go look don't worry about the medication you know um if I'm not there at the at the um at the meeting just relay the information or ask them to dial me in so I can hear mm. um so I sort of took care of like ordering all the medication and then right. administering all the medication to Ornia and making sure everything was put in the shops and thrown out and mm. kept my spreadsheet of daily injections and my alarm's going what time I need to to eject and where to put it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. I just give you a call when it's, yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. And that that is not an easy task. That's a lot of a lot of stuff. I mean, talk to me about the IVF on you. Was it did you just do one round? Yeah, again, look, we were lucky our first transfer worked. Um, the IVF, like the medication and stuff, it's not, it, it's made out to be a lot harder than it actually is. Um, mm, yeah. Like, yeah, for, for us, like the, the injections and stuff, to me, I was delighted to be actually doing something. You know, you're actively doing something. Mm. The, the hard part is, you know, like the waiting. Um, like obviously we have to wait for the donor to, to, uh, to, to come to the country, the, the sample. Um, then it was waiting for like we we were coming into the Christmas period, so the clinic had to shut down over Christmas because you know mm-hmm. people deserve to be off at Christmas. So the the egg collection, um, because James said he he looked after all the medication, it was a massive weight off my mind. And mm-hmm. um, we did the egg collection, and um, we were very lucky. Like I because I hadn't ovulated for years, I had quite a few eggs there to to collect. Oh yeah. Um. So I did the egg collection. Um. Yeah, the the uh, the sedation took a, a strong effect on me. Um, oh, I was yeah. I was knocked out, came to, thought I was in a hotel, um, <laughs> <laughs> was horrified that I wasn't getting my coffee, and um, <laughs> thought thought James's scrub hat was was wonderful. It, it had a strong effect on me. Um, <laughs> yeah, then I had the like I know it's been talked about in your podcast previously the the ovarian hyperstimulation. Yeah, it just meant my ovaries had kind of swelled up. Um, and again, this is where, like, you know, James and my partner were so was so supportive, like, because they talked about eating protein to try and help with that. So, like, when we were driving back up from Cork, James went into one of the, the services and came out with two boiled eggs, you know, from the sandwich counter <laughs> for me, um, and a, like a pint of milk. Um, so we had... Yeah. That sounds awful. So we had to wait for my ovaries basically to, to chill out and, you know, kind of reduce the swelling. Yeah. So we had to wait for me to go through a natural cycle before we do a transfer. Mm-hmm. Um, again, look, we're very lucky. We, we had 10 embryos um, created. Wow. Yeah. Um, and all 10 survived. Wow. To the stage where that is incredible. That's a high number. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're, we're blessed. We're, we're lucky. Um, so it was after Christmas then, so I had to go through a natural cycle. The clinic obviously closed for Christmas. Um, we went down to Cork for transfer. Um, yeah, like I, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment of being in, like it's it's, it's a lab, um, of that that transfer because you get to see it on the screen, and then like the doctor and the nurse, they're wonderful. They leave, and you have like I don't know five minutes. To yourself and you kind of just get to go oh hello <laughs> um you know uh, uh, welcome them and kind of just just hope that it works yeah. what can you see on the screen um so for me i was able to see so the the embryologist came in and showed me the petri dish with our embryo in it yeah. now i couldn't see the embryo because they're so so small you can only see them under a microscope yeah. um but she showed me the dish and she's like just checking with my name and date of birth um then when they're actually kind of planting the embryo you see them doing it on the screen so you see kind of like the wire um and you see like it's like a little flash of light um wow. and it's the embryo being implanted um now i was lucky they were able to get a picture of it so we have a picture 
of our yeah. ideal embryo. Yeah. Um, yeah, then you get kind of just a few minutes to yourself to just go, wow. Um, yeah, it came out and then it's the, you know, we drove back up. Um, I took the, I was lucky, I, I got signed off work for the two weeks. Um, like everyone knows about the two week wait and you're like, yeah. did, did it work? Didn't it work? Yeah. We're, con yeah, we're convinced our dog knew before we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she? yeah, she started cuddling up to my tummy. Which no way. She's not a cuddly dog. No, she's not a cuddly dog. That's um, amazing. I I had a similar experience with the dog when I was pregnant. He cuddled up to my tummy. Yeah. The animals really they are they do have a different sense. I think. Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah. So you got the phone call then soon after that. So we went into the clinic. Yeah, I was I was too nervous to do a pregnancy test. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because do you know when you've been trying. Yeah. yourself and just like you've done pregnancy tests and they, they come back negative and then obviously you've got the nerves of this transfer did it work and this again I, I praise martina nace warstones just just so so much she's she just said look come in i'll do the test you bring in as you come in do the sample i do the test um obviously we're in the kind of covid world so james couldn't come in so james sat in the car <laughs> so i gave martina my sample and i came out and i sat in the car with james and um yeah, Martina rang us and all I heard was it was positive and just started to kind of like cry with, with happiness. Mm -hmm. I had to, I, I just said, James, you have to listen to what we have to do next because I'm not hearing anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 yeah, it's a, mm -hmm. it was lovely to be together when yeah. you get that, yeah. like sitting in the car um, outside. <laughs> all the best like, things happen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so after you get the positive test, you do continue on your medication. Um, so again, James, yeah, it's different, different course. Um, so James continued giving me those injections. Um, Man, James. Yeah, and do you know when you're when you're actively doing something to help, you know, our baby. You know, like injections aren't nice. Um, I know people who have diabetes, they have to take them continuously throughout their life. Um, but you're doing something good for your baby. Um, so, yes, yeah, so then after two weeks, so we went up to Martina and Waterstones again and we had our first scan. And mm. um, you see this little tiny, yeah. little uh, like baby um you can see like the shape of the placenta beginning to grow and it's yeah it's, it's emotional and it's incredible um it's a long time ago now isn't it? yeah it was <laughs> the first time yeah yeah but we have this really cool thing now of we've pictures from the embryo transfer six weeks eight weeks 10 weeks 12 weeks mm. like it's just yeah. Yeah, you there to see that moment of creation is just mm -hmm. incredible, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, no, we're 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 so happy and so excited, and yeah. like you know, everyone's story is different. But I would say to anyone who's going down the donor route, um, it's wonderful that we have those options now. Yeah. You know, it's our our end game is to have our family, our baby. And that that's what this is doing for yeah, us. Like it's right. like you can see how involved, like James's dad from the word go. Uh, it's it's a tissue that's helped us give us our family. Yeah. And James, would you have any words that you'd like to say to a listener today who might be starting out on this journey? Um, yeah, I think it's just um, it's just the communication, just opening opening up to people. I know like men have the stigma of not talking to anyone, um, especially the the mates. You probably don't really talk about this fertility when you're down the pub and stuff. Um, but if it's just like a, a sibling or or a parent, um, we actually uh, had a really good fertility counsellor. Um, he was there right from the start. Yeah. I suppose, and and she really involved me right from the start as well. Um, mm. So even if it's you can't talk to someone close to you, talk to someone external, mm. um, just to just to see what your options are, and you'd just be surprised that there's so many men who are in the same situation. 
Mm -hmm. um, like, I mean, I suppose to someone, maybe someone who may be listening in their 20s or early 30s is like, I didn't get checked until I was 41. Mm -hmm. um, and so really the options that chances of me conceiving naturally are pretty much next to nothing. But if I had the same tests done when in my 20s, then there'd have been so much more could have been done for me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd say like someone in their 20s or 30s who are thinking about having a family, just because it's so it's, it's, it's not a face of it at all. It's just a quick test, just mm. get it done, just just to just to clear your head really, just to yeah, so you can see. But I'd say definitely, it's just talking, definitely like talking to your partner, talking to friends and family, and if you can't do that, talk to someone externally. Um, just to get out in the open because like I'm I'm I'll put my hands up like I don't really talk to anybody about anything <laughs> apart from Warnia and maybe my mum I don't really open up to friends and family or so yeah it's really good for me to just to talk to the counsellor and then I made it help me open up to Warnia even more yeah. um, and then actually ended up talking to my family and some of my friends about it now so Right, bit, right. Yeah, I'm very open. Yeah, we're very open about it, aren't we? Yeah. Right. But um, I'd be the one who would be, I'd be the very quiet one, usually not saying boo to a goose. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah. You, you'd be completely engaged. Yeah. It yeah. is like yeah. it was Claire Healy, Claire Healy um, mm -hmm. Fertility Counseling Care. And I was actually talking to Claire before we started down the fertility route, mm -hmm. um, just because things weren't working. And I was like, okay, look, I need to talk to somebody get professional kind of support um to james joined those calls and you know it was absolutely brilliant she spoke to both of us and yeah it kind of you know when she's speaking to both of us it got me it allowed me the chance to hear james because yeah. she's directing questions to him as well and mm -hmm. you know not, not like pull invasive questions it's just getting that conversation going yeah i just definitely say like James has really kind of embraced it and yeah, you're chatting now. Uh, <laughs> not chatting. You can still tell I'm the chatting with the two of us. But it is so important to talk about this stuff. It is essential it is, to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, it really is. And, yeah. and, you know, you will have done, even if it's one person listening, you will have done them the world of good by you know sharing with us today so thank you so much for listening to image talks fertility thank you of course to our partners waterstone clinic and dr tim deneen for the very helpful and informative advice and the biggest thank you to anya and james for sharing their story with us today and sharing their vulnerability to help others um, and most importantly thank you for listening the very best of luck to any of you about to take those first steps and chat next month